We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Lift off. We have lift off. Hello again. Today's 10 Questions features one of my favourite comedy performers, Mark Humphreys. You'd know Mark from his brilliantly absurd sketches for The Roast on ABC2, The Feed on SBS, and most recently for 7.30 on ABC. He's also hosted the Channel 10 quiz show Pointless, and along with his co-writer Evan Williams, has written a book called On Politics and Stuff, which is bloody funny. I don't want to generalise, but in comedy, people are generally scoundrels, but Mark's one of the decent ones. And sorry to completely embarrass him, but that decency shines through here. As usual, I started by asking Mark when he was most happy. It was the 2018 Logie Awards. <laughs> I, um, I love the Logies, and uh, I know most people don't. <laughs> I love them. I, um, you know, I think most people in most Australians probably have a love-hate relationship with them, but uh, which I think I do too. But I've grown up watching them. I'm fascinated by them. I actually want to do a pod- podcast about the Logies. That's the sort of lockdown project I should get onto. Uh, I just think everyone who's been to the Logies has has an anecdote um, or, or more, and um, obviously a lot of the anecdotes, the names will have to be removed. But generally speaking, <laughs> I think there'd be some good some good stories. But yeah, no, I so I just I just feel like I'm sort of a child of television, and uh, to me, um, the Logies is. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the pinnacle, but it, I, I just mean it's it's a sort of it is a landmark within the TV landscape. And uh, in 2018, I got to finally go, and it was just everything that I hoped it would be. And I got to you know I got to meet a bunch of people that I wanted to meet, and um, like Sean McAuliffe and uh, Bert Newton was on stage, like to be there when Bert was there. And you know I think Bert is obviously just you know he is Australian television um and so and then you know the after party and dancing till three in the morning and all that sort of (laughs) stuff and it was just the first time I sort of felt like I actually was part of Australian TV even if just for for one night because everything I'd done to that point was sort of it was on TV but I was usually you know I I was doing you know I've always been doing these little sketches. Mm. At that time, I just left SBS and joined Channel 10. And so at SBS, you know, Evan, my co-writer and I, we just worked in a little corner in an office, just making our little sketches. Never really felt like we were kind of part of the TV industry, I guess. And so that was just one night where I just felt like, oh, I'm actually here and, and surrounded by it. And I, I yeah, and it, it was like walking into the, television set that I've been watching my entire life. It was magic. It's important to note that Mark's love of television was first sparked by his father, who was ABC weatherman and reporter Alan Humphreys. As well as appearing on TV, Alan hosted The Country Hour on ABC Radio and also Gardening Talkback, where he was the first host to ever activate the seven-second delay dump button when a caller asked how he could get the best yield out of a marijuana plant without, quote, it growing so high that the coppers will spot it from over the fence. But back to Mark and how he got his own start in television. He takes up the story when he was in his early 20s. He had a degree in advertising and international relations and was feeling pretty disenchanted with his job in a warehouse. I was just like, what do I do? I can't stay... I can't work in a warehouse any longer. I, 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 I've done it long enough and I'm kind of putting my life on hold. 
Um, and I had studied advertising actually. And so I, I called a recruitment agent and said, hi, I've got an advertising degree. I'm sort of working in a warehouse, but like I, I need to get a job in advertising, even though I had decided that I hated advertising. Um, and the, uh, the recruitment agent said, it sounds like you hate advertising. <laughs> and, uh, you should work work in this industry. I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to work in it at all, but I just need to do something else. And they're like, what do you really want to do? I said, well, I'd like to write comedy. And they're like, well, have you tried interning on a comedy show? And it just had never even, it had never even occurred to me. And, and also we didn't really have any comedy shows at mm. that time. Um, and so the only thing that was really on uh, at that time that seemed possible was, was Hungry Beast. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I could contact someone there. Hungry Beast was an ABC sketch show created by Andrew Denton and Andy Nell featuring emerging Australian talent, many of whom have gone on to have outstanding careers. And the week Mark spent as an intern on the show changed his life. It was, it was the first sort of foot in the door and getting a taste, getting enough of a taste of it to go, oh, oh, I like this. This feels, this feels very comfortable. If I could make this work. Then that that then I'd be very happy. So I got to meet Andrew Denton, you know, all that sort of. I was incredibly nervous, but it was yeah. He gave you know I he gave me fifteen minutes of his time, and that was just heaven for a TV kid like me. Same, he did that to me too. And and if he's in, if you're doing your Logies podcast, he's obviously one of the first people you <laughs> you should talk to. I remember seeing an interview with Denton talking about the Logies, where he just said something like, um, you know. Um, Bert Newton and Graham Kennedy made such a huge contribution to Australian TV, but I am sick and fucking tired of us eulogizing them every year. The ladies, we've done so much since then. <laughs> so true. It's so true. Oh, God. Yeah, that one moment in time that we keep going back to. That's like, yeah, it's funny. Like, it's like, you know, how many times can you watch the clip of? You know, I like the boy and all that sort of, you yeah, know, the, or, or, yeah. or Graham's dog taking a piss. I mean, that's a, that's the funny thing to me. The, the the greatest moment in Australian TV history is a dog taking a piss on camera. That's <laughs> no, not a joke. Nothing, nothing, uh, nothing scripted. No. <laughs> just, just you know, Graham had given the dog too, too deliberately given it too much water or, or what have you. And that's and that's it. And that's our kind of, you know, da 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 Buoyed by his week on Hungry Beast, Mark then heard about a satirical news show called The Roast. And he was able to get the phone number of the roast executive producer Charles Firth off an actor he was working with in the warehouse. And then he just cold called him. I called Charles and said, Oh, I, you know, I, I'd like to be a comedy writer. I've never done anything, but you know, can I come and intern on this show? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. And so <laughs> I, I'd turn up and um, uh, my favourite thing, I don't, I don't do impressions, but my one thing is I can say Charles Firth saying yes, uh, which is yes. <laughs> um, anyway, so, and, and shit, that's the other thing that he says. Um, but, um, anyway, so I um, turned up to intern on this show Charles wasn't there and Charles didn't tell Nick, the showrunner. So, so, but I didn't know that. I presumed everyone had been informed. So I just turn up and I, you know, start writing on this thing. Only later did Nick tell me, yeah, I didn't know who the F you were. Charles didn't tell me shit, you know. Wow. Like, I was just, I was very polite and just said, 
yeah, okay, you can you can write, but just <laughs> like no one told me anything. So anyway, that was my entry into that, and I um I just sort of kept turning up until they put me on the on the payroll and and went from there. I think it's a little, little bit of a metaphor of how you get in the show business. You, you just like just turn up. Yeah, that's. I think that's very true. I think yeah, that's it's yeah, it's weird. There's it's funny whenever there's always these conversations about you know, if anyone ever wants advice about how do I get into and show business, but like you'd know, there's no there's no path. There is you have to absolutely forge your own, and so much of it is just weird chance and mm. people, yeah, people you know and luck and all that sort of stuff. I mean, and then but it's you know, it's always a thing of luck meets you know determination or what have you. After the roast, Mark and his writing partner, Evan Williams, moved to the feed on SBS, and that's when they worked their way into the nation's consciousness. But back to the questions. Who would Mark like to apologise to and why? I don't think you'll find a more apologetic person than me. I, I always say that I've spent half my life apologising to people and the other half waiting for apologies that never come. <laughs> um, if I owe you an apology you will have heard from me. Um, or if I haven't, do contact me because I have no qualms about apologizing. I absolutely believe in if I've done you wrong in any way, I don't want you to feel, yeah, I, I absolutely want to do whatever I can to try and, you know, make that better or, 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 or you know, apologize. So I can't think of anyone specifically that I would want to apologize to because I, I, I really do it an awful lot. Mm. Um, I, I remember even when I was doing Pointless with Andrew Rochford, there was like something, we had to do a thing where it was like, it's almost like a dating game thing where it's like they, they, they asked us questions about, we had to answer questions about the other person. So I was answering questions about Andrew Rochford and he was answering questions about me. And the question was like, you know, what is the one thing that the, that, you know, the other person does too much and Andrew wrote you know I can't stop saying sorry I'm always just trying to keep the peace I'm really non-confrontational I've absolutely you know fucked up many many times but just um yeah I I, I, I'm pretty sure that I've I've made efforts to apologize to the people that I (laughs) that I um that I think I need to where where does that come from do you think do you you come from a family of apologizers no, I don't. Th- I don't really know where that comes from. I think I've always been quite um, wanting to please everyone. Maybe there's, but I can't really pinpoint a particular. I can't think of a particular moment. Um, I think sometimes it might also be there. There are a couple of things I can think of in my childhood where I was wronged and I, I was not apologised to, mm. and I you know, harbored that resentment. And so I think on some level kind of gone, well, if I made someone else feel that way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want them to be holding onto the thing I'm holding onto, I guess. Mm, so that's um, nice. Yeah. But look, I'm sure people could, could, could flood me with emails and go, mate, there's a fucking ton of things you can apologize for. <laughs> uh, the, so <laughs> so I, I'm sure there are massive, you know, gaps, but, <laughs> but um, generally speaking, I really, I really believe in the power of an apology. Um, yeah. and yeah, yeah. so if, and I, when, when I, when people give them to me, uh, oh my God, it's, to, I'm so, I'm so ready to move on. If you, if I, if you just did me wrong and then you apologize, <laughs> I'm so ready to, to, to move on. But if you don't apologize, then it's just like, mm. it just festers, oh, sure. you know? Um, and then 
you know, manifests itself in, in shingles. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's the connection. I have shingles at the moment, in case it's not clear. <laughs> that's right. Mark has shingles, which is a reactivation of the same virus that causes chickenpox and manifests as a painful rash. So if you've had chickenpox, then you're a chance to get shingles, and it can sometimes be brought on by stress. And on the day we spoke, Mark did have a rash over his too handsome for comedy face. Moving on to question three, what is Mark's greatest regret? It's, oh, it's so petty, but, it, 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 but I think about it every day. Um, <laughs> it's the most stupid thing to think about every day, but I do. In 2015, I was going to, uh, to New York for the first time on holiday with my dad. And I've, I, uh, I'm a huge musical theater fan and I was so excited about going to Broadway and seeing shows on Broadway. And so a few months before I went, I was looking at what's going to be on, on Broadway when I get there. And I saw there was going to be a, you know, Anyway, I saw a bunch of bunch of things and I went, okay, I'll get tickets to that and that and that. And then I was reading about a show that was going to be opening the week that I was going to be getting there. And it was described as a hip-hop musical about the uh, man on uh, the US $10 note. And I, and I thought, wow, this sounds terrible. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, no thank you. Uh, so, <laughs> did not purchase that. Uh, and, and Hamilton... Had I known, I mean, I could like it, it is undoubtedly the biggest musical theater phenomenon of my mm. lifetime, maybe. I mean, like, you know, Phantom was huge, Les Mis was huge, Wicked was huge, but Hamilton mm. could be, could, could top them all. And, um, and I, so I, so because Hamilton is such a cultural, you know, you know, behemoth. Uh, I can't escape it. So I see Hamilton around me yeah. all the time. Uh, and it's on in Sydney. I'm obviously, obviously we're in lockdown, but you know, there are posters and there's and people, just people are always talking about it and the cast and everything have all gone on to other things. So they're popping up in other stuff. And I could have been there. I could have seen it. I could have been one of the cool people who was at the forefront of that. And it's like, I saw it first and I was, you know, I'm not just some bandwagon rider. And I, I have to live with that. So, you know, my own ignorance and lack of sort of open-mindedness. So since then, I'm sort of like, when I read about musicals that sound like, that could be a bit weird, like American Psycho, the musical, I go, I'm there, I'll see it. I'm like, <laughs> there, take it, yeah, no, it sounds great. Uh, so, um, that is my biggest regret. What did you see in place of Hamilton? <laughs> yeah, great. Um, so I saw I saw a revival of The King and I. <laughs> 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 uh, which was very good. I mean, to be clear, it was, it was a very good revival. Um, I saw, uh, I, did, I did see great things. I did see great things. I saw the original Broadway production of Fun Home, which was excellent. And um, if people are familiar with Fun Home, that's a marvellous show. So I, I'm, I'm glad that I got to see that. To get closure, Mark did end up seeing Hamilton in London and loved it, thought it was brilliant, but would now be quite happy for the whole thing to go away. Question four, what would Mark still need to do to feel he'd lived a satisfactory life? I wish it wasn't this, but it, own a house. Um, for, for me, there's something about that which is just like, okay, like I, I have like I have a little spot on this earth that's mine, I guess, if that makes sense. And I feel like, um, cause I've got two children and wife and that's to me just like, it's just, it, it represents stability and 
um, you know, the, the fam, an element of the family unit and, and just, and not that sort of constant thing of like, oh, do we need to be looking for a, a different place or, you know, uh, is the owner going to, you know, put it up for sale or what, all that sort of stuff. So I think the problem, obviously the big problem at the moment is it, it just feels so unattainable. It just, it, the, the, it's so, I don't, there's just no clear pathway to home ownership for us at the moment, uh, especially with the way that prices just keep going up and up and up and up and up. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that's something that causes me a little bit of angst. Um, and um, But if I could solve that, because um, I think, you know, when I got cast on Pointless, uh, it was like, oh gosh, if, if this runs, you know, four years or something, I think I can do it. Yeah. And then it ended, you know, w- within one. I was like, God damn it. I just, <laughs> I thought I, I thought I just got there. Oh, um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we then talked about the perception among some that you could make good money on Australian television. And with the exceptions of a few superstars, you make about as much as you would if you're in middle management. But here's the catch. You only make that kind of money on the days that you're actually working. I've, I've read articles about how, you know, Vince Colosimo in between projects is working on building sites. And, mm. you know, and you go, of, co- of course he is. Like, yeah, how, I, I, you know, yeah, I, I think... The number of people who can actually make a sustainable career just off, you know, television gigs is—I don't know. <laughs> can you count them on, you know, two hands? I don't know. It's mm, a yeah. very small number. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I think there is this perception that it's it's different, and and so it's. I mean, I had a thing even yesterday where someone was. Uh, I'm a writer on. A, a, there's a sketch show coming to Amazon um, called The Moth Effect, and. Um, I was saying, oh, you know, here's the trailer for it. And someone replied, oh, you know, I'm not giving my money to, you know, I understand the whole thing. I'm not giving my money to Bezos. Why, why aren't you doing it on the ABC or SBS? We don't have a choice. Uh, it's not some sort of, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's some sort of buffet. <laughs> just like, oh, I think I'll go with ABC. I, I could go Netflix, but no. Like, it's just whatever. You yeah. kind of have to take what you, what you can get. You know, you can't you really beggars can't be choosers. Um, very occasionally something will happen where you just go, like I won't do a, an ad for um, horse racing or, or gambling. Like there's, there's, there's certain things where I just, I can't morally do it. But generally speaking, uh, you know, having morals is a privilege, I think, uh, mm. <laughs> for, for you know, people in this industry. Oh, mate, it's, it's so true. It, the only ads I won't do are gambling and, um, for the Liberal Party, but yeah. you know that's uh, <laughs> everything else. I'm, I'm up for grabs. Uh, <laughs> call my agent, uh, Aaron Michaelman. Um, um, who is the person who most influenced you, and how? The best answer I can come up with is maybe my French teacher um, from high school, Mr. Sheehan. Um, just in terms of having the biggest, probably had the biggest impact on my life, just in the sense of. Um, giving me a passion for French, which then translated into me going and studying at a university um, along with advertising uh, and then going and living in France for a year in 2007 where I then met my now wife and have since had two children and everything. So I think wow. that's a pretty good measure of, of influence. Um, but, um, yeah, but then, like, you know, obviously, like, you know, comedy influences, you know, that, that we've all got and uh, you know people, for me just people like martin short and norm mcdonald and ones that i worship and try and 
you know, extract something from, even though it probably doesn't come across. But um, uh, but yeah, that's I think the French thing is probably the big one. Do you speak fluent French? Yeah, I I mean it's certainly, you know, I think it's it's, it's certainly a lot weaker now. But my wife and I still speak French with each other. Um, not all the time. It depends. On <laughs> usually, usually when we need to discuss something that, that we don't want the children to hear. Um, but um, if I, yeah, but it's, it's certainly, you know, gotten a bit rough. But when I, any time I go back to France, it, it, it usually comes back within a, a day or two. Or it's really kind of, it's that sort of thing, like, I think the vocabulary is still there. It's the confidence that you kind of need to kind of, because um, I think speaking a foreign language is almost like adopting a persona. I, th- I think you, I felt like I had a different personality in French. I think I was actually a better person in France. I was a, bit, I was a better listener because I had to be. You know, I can sort of hear, I can be a bit more of a loud mouth. But in French, it's like I've really got to focus. And so I think, yeah, I was a much better better listener. And uh, I mean, it also kind of changed my sense of humor. Like, because like, the French laugh at different things than we do. And so if I was trying to be mm-hmm. funny the way that I would try here, just didn't, didn't play. Whereas they're much more play on words and that sort of, you know, puns and things like that. I, I hate puns. I'm just not a pun guy. But... Um, but in France, you know, I, me- I remember the first proper laugh I got in French was from observing, <laughs> it's so niche, but like there's a word about, it's called uh, connerie, which I think sort of, sort of translates to sort of nonsense. And I was, and I think I made something, I made some observation about like, oh, people must think that, you know, Sean, Sean connerie, you know, only speaks, you know, Connery. and it was like people fell out of their chairs like it was like i was like some you know savant I was like, <laughs> it was, and it's like to me you know it was you know it's pretty pretty ordinary line but like <laughs> oh mate no i love it and were you in paris and were you studying what, what was the what was, was the deal uh, i was in i was in bordeaux um oh, yeah. and um it was yes, I was studying ostensibly but i i, I kind of i i used the year more to um just do a bunch of things that I didn't have the confidence to do here. And it, so, cause I always wanted to do something in the kind of creative arts, writing and performing and what have you. But I was so, I was too shy to admit it here. I thought I was too embarrassed to kind of admit it in Australia. So in France, I was like, well, I'm only here for a year. I don't know anyone here. At the end of the year, I can leave and never talk about this. or <laughs> Never see these people again. Um, so why not just do stuff that you wouldn't normally do? So like I ended up joining a theater troupe and I did a, I did a couple of plays in French. I did some short films. Um, wow. So I kind of fell into a crowd like that. And that once I had fun doing that, then I came back to Australia and said, well, maybe I could, maybe I could do something in that sort of, in that sort of space. Um, but uh, I also worked in a, in a bar there. And so that was really good for the French, um, to, you know, in terms of my language skills, um, you know, having just, you know, serving people and speaking with, with, with clients and with customers. And, um, yeah, so, uh, it was the best year. It was, it was the best year of my life. It was absolutely fantastic. And, what were uh, you like 21, 22? 20, yeah, that's right. 20, yeah, I was 21. Um, so it was a perfect time. Bordeaux was very much a sort of university towns, so a lot of, you know, a lot of young people around, um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful city. Mark said Bordeaux is where he met his wife, Yulia. But how did he meet her? And where is she from? She's from Russia. So she was there studying as well. And um, 
the the first night that I was working in the bar, I, uh, fr- I I invited a bunch of friends along to. I think the, my boss said I could give them half price drinks or something. I can't remember, but anyway, and I, I said, "Come along, and you know, I'll serve you, and we'll have a good night and everything." And um, and one of my Irish friends said, um, "Oh, can I bring along um, my friend Yulia from Russia?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And um, and then I met this girl and it was that lightning bolt. It really was that lightning bolt moment where I saw her for the first time and I just immediately kind of froze. And I was so, <laughs> it's, it's going to sound so corny, but the way I describe it is that I felt like I recognized her because I'd seen her in my dreams. It was like, it, wow. was, it was a very strange feeling. And, and, because, and, and she was beautiful. And, I, and of course, because of that, I immediately went, well, I'm never talking to her. Um, <laughs> so I just kind of ignored her because uh, <laughs> it's just like, well, that's never going to happen. And I think that probably ended up ultimately working to my advantage that I was so disinterested <laughs> or what have you. Um, <laughs> and, um, and not sort of, you know, um, going full on at her. And, uh, yeah, and so it went, you know, went, went from there. And then she ultimately... Um, after her studies finished, I had, after mine finished, I had to come back to Australia. She had to stay there for another six months to finish hers. And then she came over here um, to, yeah. And where in Russia is she from? She is from Siberia. She is from a very small town in Siberia, which I have visited. And, um, you know, it's, and it is, I, I luckily I went, I went in summer, but it, it is one of those things where it gets down to, minus 40 like just like insane temperatures that i'll never understand um temperatures to the point where you go uh, why is there a town here just move like there's this is not the (laughs) this is not a place to start a civilization um and uh yeah and you know the russian culture is so different there's things that i've learned the hard way about that about their whole approach to family and Mm. um grandparents are very kind of hands-on Hence, um, Yulia's dad actually lives with us. I mean, he's ter- he's terrific, but it was just something that I had to kind of because my parents they're around, but they're not. Yeah, yeah, they're not. Yeah, you know, Australian grandparents are kind of yeah, call us when you need us. Russian yeah. grandparents are like uh, you know arriving at the door with their suitcases. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did she, what did they think of your uh, of your comedy and satire? Do they understand? <laughs> do they understand? The, the nuances of what you're doing? I can't say with certainty that they know what I do for a living. I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure. I really don't know. And I'm afraid to ask. So I don't, I don't bring it up. Um, they probably think it's ridiculous. Like, because oh, wow. Yulia's father is very practical, like very useful, like a real handyman. He used to fly helicopters and like he's, he fixed, he fixed a, um, <laughs> he found a um a leaf blower in the street that was broken he fixed it and like so he's simultaneously like the most popular guy in the house in terms of like the kids love playing with but now probably the most loathed person in the neighborhood but um but he, yeah he's brilliant so i don't yeah because i don't have really kind of practical skills so i think they probably don't think much of me but um i guess as long as the you know the bills are paid and the roof over the, the heads i guess I guess yeah. they're okay with it. When was the last time you cried and why? Oh, man, I'm such, such an easy crier. Such an easy cry. I mean, I, I cried yesterday. I cried yesterday. I was watching <laughs> I saw a clip from Cheers. 
which made me cry. <laughs> the one I'll tell you though was, was when I originally started writing the answers. Um, I, I did some work. Um, uh, <laughs> it was three days ago, and it was a thing which just gave me so much joy. Which was it was a, um, a young woman in America. She was I don't I think she was I think she was competing maybe in a musical theater competition or something, and she had to do a song. She's singing a song from Mean Girls the musical, and there's a bit where she jumps on a chair for this kind of big moment. And as she goes to jump on the chair, the chair slides and slips out from underneath her and she crashes onto the floor, but she does not miss a note and she keeps going. So the audience immediately is just like, you know, start applauding, but she keeps going and she's undoubtedly in some, she's surely in some sort of pain. But she can finishes that song for you've got another 30 seconds to go and hits all those notes and ends on the, you know, kind of, uh, you know, arms lifted up at the air. And the sound of the crowd just wrapping her in a warm embrace, that ecstatic sound. When 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 you hear a crowd really absolutely just completely give themselves to performer, I find that very, very moving. Yeah, me too. And um the, the other example I'll give of that, which is gonna sound lame, but that's who I am. I, I have very lame taste but <laughs> the very first public performance of Riverdance <laughs> occurred at the Eurovision Song Contest in uh, 1994 in Ireland and no one had ever seen anything like that it's this eight-minute performance that is 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 so uh, powerful and bursting with energy and thrilling still thrilling to this day to watch and Michael Flatley leaps on there and you've never seen anyone move like this and perform a da- and dance like this. And there's a whole troupe of dancers with him and there's the, the female lead as well and, and they're both in sync with each other and everything. And when that, and when, you know, they, final, they do that final dance step and the final note and then the audience just roars and mm. leaps to their feet and uh, that I, I choke up every single, I tear up every single time I, I, I watch that. I, I really recommend that. It's very good for the soul. So I love a cry. Big fan of a cry. Oh, mate, I, I'm going to watch that. I've, I've not seen that. That's, I mean, I've seen a lot of Riverdance, but I've not seen that the first one. That would have been special. The very first one, yeah, because people didn't know what, what is this? They never seen, mm. they, they didn't know what to expect. And I think it was also, it's that Irish pride as well. It's an mm. Irish audience. And then this is going out to the world. And, um, oh, well, gosh, even just thinking about it, beautiful. Riverdance premiered during the interval of the 1994 Eurovision Song Contest in Dublin and starred dancers Michael Flatley and Jean Butler. They performed the eight-minute routine in front of 4,000 people at the Point Theatre and 300 million television viewers worldwide. It was an immediate sensation, which expanded into a theatre show in 1995. Flatley became a star and Butler insured her legs for a million pounds and then they fell out because, according to Butler, flatly thought it was all about him. Moving on to question seven, what's Mark's current state of mind? Because I've just been dealing with shingles for the last couple of weeks. I, it's, I, guess, it's, I guess it's the state of mind of just like, is this the vessel that I've got to carry through with me till the end? Like, I feel like the, the human body, I, my state of mind is the human body is not, I think it's just not fit for purpose. I'm, I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> just think, I'm, and I'm just getting increasingly alarmed about the, um, you know, I'm only 35, but already just, you know, sort of the, the gradual breakdown that everyone experiences. 
and it, so you know, and I had a, I had a melanoma removed a couple of years ago. No, I mean nothing. I mean, unfortunately, removed in time, but it's left uh, a, a, you know a noticeable st- scar and. It's like, oh, this mm. thing, this thing is quite fragile. This thing that's sort of carrying us around is is not really, you know, built to last. Um, I always get very, I, I hate seeing. I, I always get whenever I see like a a three year old who's wearing like Coke bottle glasses, and I just go, guy, this guy yeah. just came out of the factory, and already, you know, we're having to, yeah. to buy accessories for him. So you know, it's not right. Like, <laughs> so. I guess I think I'm thinking a lot about not so much mortality, but just sort of, um, yeah, just the gradual decline. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, through through life. Yeah, you use your powers of denial and compartmentalization to get through it, to get through life. You know, as everything kind of falls apart, not just with you, but your parents and. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think something else that I'm also thinking about is that you've mentioned parents is just like I, I didn't really think about how. My 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 dad lives alone, and um, my parents are divorced, and so my mum is remarried. But my dad lives alone. He has a, he has a he has a partner, but she lives in Canberra. And because of the whole lockdown situation, my dad basically is by himself in his apartment. Um, and a big part of his life, because he's seventy two, seventy three, um, a big part of his life is lunch with friends. Mm. That's sort of that's kind of the highlight of his day. Um, and he can't do that. Can't see his girlfriend. And it was just sort of. I, it just suddenly occurred to me when I was speaking to him the other day that he's actually quite. Uh, I, I, I think he'd be okay with me saying this, but like he's he's depressed. He's, mm. he's, he's he's depressed, and and I think sort of, I don't know. I think I sort of take for granted that oh, my parents are always going to be kind of chipper, and they're 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 there to kind of, you know, lift my spirits. Like, yeah, yeah. I did. I did. I, it was a moment of just like no, they no, they need they need they need as much help. They need more help now, um, mm. and you need to kind of be more in tune with and more caring and thinking about what they need. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was a bit of a, a wake up call. Mm. Yeah, and because I'm surrounded by people, I'm not conscious of other people's loneliness, but I'm I'm becoming aware of it with the through the lockdown of of, of especially with single friends who are really you know not. You know, I think in my head I kind of go, "Oh man, I would watch so much TV and blah, blah, blah. and you know there is that, but it's pretty bleak. Oh yeah. Um, what do you consider your greatest achievement? I mean, I guess like from a kind of career standpoint, I, I, I feel I do feel really good that I got to work in the industry that I wanted to work in, um, and uh, kind of even if it sort of ended tomorrow. I think I would still have some. I'd be, I'd be immensely sad, but I would I still have the satisfaction of I, uh, you know, the one brief shining moment. I I I I got to do the thing that I I really set out to do because I think getting into this industry is so difficult. Um, yeah, and there's so many elements, so many you know dominoes that need to line up, and and I'm really really lucky that that that, that I did that they did line up for me, and that I got to experience. I got to experience, you know, what it's like to host a, a, you know, a show on a commercial network, and I yeah. got to, and I got to do the logies and all that sort of stuff. So I, I that 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 I feel, I feel, um, I guess for for the for the the younger version of myself that was too nervous to say, oh, I, I want to kind of go and do this sort of thing. I, I sort of feel I, I'm pleased for him. If that, <laughs> if that yeah, makes that's sense. brilliant, mate. That, 
That's lovely. Mark's experience of making sketches which appear online for the roast, the feed, and then 7.30 have netted him many, many millions of views, so he knows what it's like to truly go viral. I know it's, I know it could be fleeting, but that rush that you must get when suddenly you got one of your videos getting 22 million views, I mean, that, that must be very exciting. I know you have to do a sketch the next day and everything. So That's obviously yes. you've got 24 yeah. hours there where it must be pretty exciting, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the biggest thrill with that was, yeah. So with, the, with this one called the Greta Thunberg, Greta Thunberg helpline. And um, it was just as soon as it went out, it was just immediate. It just immediately, you know, I can, I can vary within, within a minute of me putting a video on Twitter. I know exactly how well, it's going to, you know, I exactly, I know exactly how good that sketch is, you know, I, and, and that was something where just the retweets just started pouring in like instantly. I was like, this is, this is interesting. And it was just like, it was, it was, it was just like, I could not, I couldn't scroll fast enough to keep, to keep up with it. And then uh, within two hours, I think Greta Thunberg retweeted it herself and then it just blew, you know, wide open. But um, yeah, that was that was thrilling. But the, the 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 sad reality, of course, about virality and all that sort of stuff is it doesn't really give you very much. It certainly doesn't give you much. Um, I mean, there's no financial reward for it. Um, I mean, hopefully, it sort of builds. You know, it adds to your kind of general reputation and what have you. But I saw a, mm. I saw a tweet the other day. Of, do you see the video where it's a guy? He he kind of it's him transforming into things. He would sort of fall forwards towards the camera and, and then turn, like he'd be in a yellow outfit. He'd fall towards mm. the camera and turn into a banana. The video of a man transforming himself into everyday objects was made by the stop-motion animator Kevin Parry and has been viewed more than 30 million times. And he put out on Twitter, I think he said, this video has had 30 million views on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and everything, or whatever, all these sorts of things. And he said, and I haven't made it, I haven't made a cent from it. Um, and he's, sort of like, he's not saying it in a bitter way. He's just saying this, the reality is that doesn't really equate to anything. So to any kids out there who kind of want to go viral or what have you, you need a set of skills and something to actually, <laughs> this is not a, you know, this is not a path to, to, to riches. Because I'd love to rest on my laurels. I'm so very keen to do that. <laughs> um, and I'm, re- I'm ready. I'm ready. It's like, sometimes I do go like, how many, how many more sketches do I have to make? Like, I, because yeah. <laughs> I think we've made like across the years that we've been doing it at, at different places. I think we've, we've made some, I can't even tell you the figure. It's something insane. It's like, I don't know, 700 sketches. It's something ridiculous. And the other thing I would just say about this generally, I think what's really interesting about the human psyche and, 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 and I think something that's a, again, a real weakness of the system is that those things can go absolutely gangbusters and you can have, lovely 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 comment after lovely comment but my god it, it, it those things wash over you in a way that the negative stuff doesn't and it's mm. so fascinating that you can literally have 99 positive tweets and that one negative one is, is that still has so sometimes has that power to to just go i mean maybe it's good in a way that's sort of humbling and doesn't allow you to get too big a big ahead, but there is this feeling sometimes where it just it's like, oh god, that's the that, that's the one person that can see through me. <laughs> god, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. They know because we all feel, you know, we all feel like imposters. Exactly. Like, whenever I get excited about a new show coming out, I, I get 
well, I get excited and then I suddenly go, oh, that's right. Um, that's going to happen. And oh, you just God. you just get you just like oh. brace yourself, and of course it happens. And you know, if you do a show on the ABC and you look at and you stupidly look at their Facebook page, oh. and you see all the boomers just like oh, attacking gosh. you from their houses that they've bought with their franking credits, um, and just like the viciousness—it's like nothing you've ever seen. Like we won't. The human, do you talk about the human body being a, a vessel that's not able to kind of cope with life? I mean, we weren't reading this stuff about ourselves, wasn't part of the plan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We weren't designed for this. There was no part of the evolutionary process that is that has accounted for this thing that we've created. Um, mm. And yeah, I, that is fascinating to me. And yeah, so the, like the Facebook thing, like I don't, I don't read Facebook comments anymore because I just know that that's where. Twitter, I kind of, I don't know. It's it's it, that's easier to manage because it's it's my page and people can mm. come onto it. But but Facebook, yeah, if it's the ABC's page, then yeah, your videos are going out to you know your stuff's going out to. I think they've got like maybe the ABC News account has like two million followers yeah. or something like that. There's no way you're going to win that whole crowd no. over. No way. No, and uh, the ones you don't win are, are teeing off. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the ones you don't win over. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's hardcore. Anyway, second last question. Who would you want on your side in a battle and why? Um, if it was a physical thing, because I would, like, I've always thought in the zombie apocalypse, I'm the first one to get eaten. Like, so my feeling is um, Andrew Rochford, okay, so my, who I co-hosted Pointless with, I would actually, he, he is very... I'd love to. I think I, I, he, I think he'd be really good in a battle, in an actual physical battle. Andrew Rochford won the block before TV producers called on his expertise as a medical doctor to appear opposite Sigrid Thornton on What's Good For You before hosting Breakfast on Channel 10, co-hosting the project, and then being appointed national medical editor for Channel 7. Then in 2018, he joined Mark as co-host on the quiz show, Pointless. Something very emotional occurred during the filming of an episode, and Andrew was... To the point where I was, I was really struggling because it was something that a contestant had said completely innocently um, but had just really um, affected me. And Andrew came to the... And basically, Andrew went to the producers and said, I don't think you should... We'd filmed, we had to film five episodes a day and we'd filmed four. And, and this thing happened during the fourth episode. Andrew went in to the producers and said... Um, you can't make Mark go and do another episode after that. Um, and <laughs> now I'm going to cry because I just, uh, sorry, he was, it was very extremely thoughtful. And um, sorry, I don't know if I was expecting that. Oh, you might, fine. Gosh. Um, he just, you know, and, and to shut down of TV production, to send, mm. oh gosh, you know, a crew of, I mean, everything, all the, I mean, it would have, it would have cost the network. I mean, I, don't, I dread to think. Anyway, but he knew that for my mental health that I couldn't do, I couldn't do another episode that night. I was just destroyed. And because um, it was actually two things back to back. Something had happened in episode three that I was very moved by. Something happened in episode four, which was even more affecting. And, and Andrew got the production shut down. And um, he drove me home that night. And actually, we drove around for like an hour. And he just, and we just talked 
and um, I'll always be grateful to him for that. And 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 in a physical battle, if I did get wounded, he's a medical doctor. He, <laughs> yeah. Could, you know, not only could he hold his own, and you know, with a, with an axe or a sword, I think he could also come to my aid um, when I get uh, cut cut down. Uh, he was he was he was wonderful. He was um, yeah. Anyway, and uh, I think he'll be. He's, he, I think he'll be a friend for life. He he was marvelous. Yeah. Marvelous. Um. The final question. What would you like your last words to be? Thank you for the apology. <laughs> <laughs> we have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. 